So this, this past week, as I was reading and preparing for this, I ran into um, an article written by uh, Hannah Sheba. Hey, thank you, Charlie. And uh, Hannah Sheba is a, an Ethiopian-American Christian who uh, writes a blog. And it's not that I read a lot of blogs, but she had a great one that was talking about uh, the role of the father is under attack and how it's hurting our children and families in the United States of America. And uh, she had this to say. She said, fathers help young boys understand what it means to be a man. They help their son understand the role and responsibilities of a man in the household. Fathers help their sons develop the correct self-image of what a father needs to be. They show sons the love needed, the correction needed, the guidance needed to be an example in a child's life. A boy learns from his father without even realizing he's doing it, what a man is and what a man does. He learns about masculinity, about what godly men do and do not do, what they act like and what they do not act like. But fathers don't just influence boys, they have great influence on daughters. Young girls who have a warm, close relationship with their dads are better able to handle everyday stressors, are less prone to depression and anxiety, and are better able to talk about their feelings, according to a study published in the Journal of Psychology. Also, for most girls, their father is the first man they will ever love. This plays a significant role in how they will look at love from every other man in their life. A father's love helps validate a young girl's worth and her humanity and her dignity. Fathers show, uh, fathers show how, show, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm going to move it closer. Fathers show how a woman, um, no, she's got bad grammar. That's what's going on here. I'm like, surely I'm reading this wrong. Fathers show how a woman that a man should love them for, okay, they should love them for who they are, not as an object. That's what she's trying to get at. I'm sorry, it's Ethiopian into English. I guess there's a syntax error. But she finishes this way. Most important of all, when the role of the father is under attack, it will impact how children view God. If we destroy the role of the father, then no one will be able to truly understand how God deals with and loves and does relationship with his children. It will be harder to receive the love of God in their lives, and that has an eternal impact. Boys need to have something to strive to be, and girls need to have an example of what a good man and father looks like. What Sheba was getting across to and what she's trying to point out um, is something that is crucial if we're going to be able to understand passages like 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 to 21, because Paul opens this up um, as, as he's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, I'm not writing to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What we're looking at here today is is going to be Paul, uh, along with Sosthenes, engaging the church in Corinth in something of a correction. And so as he does so, he's telling them, look, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And Timothy is going to meet with you. He's going to convey my words, and I want you to hear him as you would hear me. And I want you to be obedient like children because I'm your father. 
In our culture today, though, we're in the midst of something of a battle. If you were, if you were Satan and your plan was to tear down and to destroy the Christian culture, society, or home in the United States, you wouldn't start with something overt and dramatic. You'd start subtle. You'd begin chipping away at the foundation so the whole house could fall. And some of the ways that's been happening in our postmodern culture is that we've seen absolutes become destroyed. Postmodern's core concept, of course, postmodernity and, and secular humanism, but one of the ideas is that there are no absolute rights and wrongs, right? That there's, there's no one true thing for everybody. Postmodernity and what we've in, 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 uh, embraced in Western culture says that uh, if it's old, it's probably not good. And the old ways are the wrong ways and the new ways are the right ways. Um, stereotypes are always there because they point out absolute truths, even though there's no absolute truths. And so what the founding fathers did is necessarily bad. And what the Christian scriptures say is necessarily bad because it's them. It's not now. And so we tear down um, the foundations and the bulwarks of what make us a great nation and what makes Christianity God's way of doing things. And so when you take those things away, what happens is we say that manhood is bad. So men are bad. Men are destroyers. Men are abusers. Therefore, father's bad. Man, bad. We need to feminize men. And this ideology has made its way into media. It's made its way into popular writing, into psychology. And it seems that what's happening is manhood is under attack. Fatherhood is under attack. And Satan's been so successful. Let me shock you with the latest statistic. Recent studies finished up at the end of 2017, and for statistics, that's pretty good analysis, at the end of 2017, demonstrate that there are between 11 and 13 million single parent homes in the United States today, with over 89% of those having single moms raising their kids. Fatherhood has been attacked with great success by the adversary. What's needed in our culture is for biblical manhood and biblical fatherhood to make a resurgence in order, number one, that we save the home and save uh, Christian families and society, but more than anything, so that when people hear the term father in scripture, the image that they have is the correct image of a father. Here's where it's destructive. In our culture today, when you hear the term father, it does not always bring to mind things like respect, stability, faithfulness, goodness, godliness, loving, providing, protecting. A lot of times in our culture today, when people hear father, they think of abandonment, abuse, neglect, selfishness, childishness. And so what we need to be understanding as Christians is that when the Corinthians read these words, I'm writing to, not to shame you, to warn you as my dear children, as your father in Christ, they had a positive view of fatherhood. Even in Corinth, even for all of the depravity of Corinth and the Roman culture, the pedophilia, the father in the family was ultimately responsible for providing for and correcting and disciplining and standing up for and representing his family. And so this was a high value in their culture. And isn't it a shame that in our culture, biblical manhood and fatherhood is being diminished 
and, and squandered and pushed to the side and even criticized. So what we want to do this morning is we're going to talk a bit about that. So here's how we're going to engage this passage. First of all, um, uh, shaming is not a solid parenting or leadership technique. Paul opened it up with, I didn't write to shame you. So we'll talk about that. Secondly, uh, children will do as you do. So word to parents, word to leaders, children will do as you do. And then thirdly, discipline is a responsibility, but punishment is the result of defiance. So this is how we're going to move through those things today. So let's begin number one. Shaming is not a solid parenting technique. Um, Paul said, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Shaming violates trust and leaves people paralyzed. If you've ever been a part of... Uh, a a work environment where you have a boss or a manager who uses shame to try to force people to do what they want. You recognize that what she or he is doing is manipulating you with shame rather than teaching you and encouraging you and empowering you to do a great job. So shame as a parenting technique is a complete fail. So what's the difference between shaming and disciplining? And and what exactly is Paul saying? I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm not trying to violate your trust and destroy you. I'm trying to remind you where you've gotten off course. So shaming is this. Um, Shaming asks, what's wrong with you? That's a shaming. What's the matter with you? What's wrong with you? That's a shaming response. A a, a guilt, a a responsible guilt and and a reminding you what's wrong response is to say, hey, what have you done? What have you done? It's not saying you are no good. It's saying, what have you done? You see, shaming wants to point out that there's something wrong with me. So if I've been shamed, I say, I am broken. I am wrong. Guilt says I did something wrong. And guilt is something that we need to hear and understand and accept. When we've done wrong, we need to feel that guilt and make sure that we don't do that again. But feeling shame is a fail on the part of a leader or a parent. And Paul is beginning straight up with his spiritual children in Corinth by saying, I'm not writing to shame you, okay? That's not what this is about. I'm here to warn you, as my dear children, this is wrong, what you've conducted. Now, because we understand that, um, that, that shame is the wrong way and that there's another way, what we have to think in terms of is kind of this. Um, for parents, how do we correct our children? How do we straighten our children out? How do we give them the right way to do things? Well, we start with, with understanding. The second point is that children will do as you do. Hear Paul's words. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What Paul is going is, is, is to be drawn in here, I don't want you to, um, to just do as you want and then I'll shame you when you do it wrong. I'm actually going to show you how to behave so that you can imitate me. How many of you were, uh, were growing up and remember things like this little product? Amazing that that would ever exist, but, but it did. And it's the little candy cigarettes and they're called Just Like Dad Candy. Well, what was dad doing that the little kids wanted to imitate? They were smoking. Oh my goodness. Do you see the look on the little boy's face? (laughs) 
How about Big League Shoe? How many of you have kids who uh, play Little League Baseball and every kid on the field has got that Big League Shoe in their back pocket? Have you seen it? It's funny because they all want to be cool and have their their chewing gum out there. But where did it come from in 1967 when it came out? What was the story with Big League Shoe? They were imitating what they saw Major League Baseball players do. What did they have in their mouth while they're playing the game? big wad of chewing tobacco. Well, we started to realize, hey, this isn't healthy. Uh, so we took the tobacco out of baseball players' mouths, but uh, they still use the chew. They still chew the gum out there to stay busy while they're in the middle of long games. But kids were wanting to imitate what they saw and the players that they respected. It's the nature, friend, of children to want to imitate parents and want to imitate adults. How many times have you seen it that you do it just like mom or just like dad? It's the nature of kids to want to do that. And so Paul, as he's, as he's speaking to the church in Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, just like he did to the church in Corinth, he said this, um, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Paul as a father is saying to them, do just like you saw dad do. Do like you saw me do and the God of peace will be with you. Hey dads, how many of you are ready to say that to your kids today? Boys, do just like you saw dad do and you're going to have a great home. Are we ready to take on that responsibility? Are we ready to say to our daughter, sweetheart, I want you to go find a man who's just like daddy. That's the kind of man you want in your life. Guys, are you, are you ready to put your hand up and say that's what we want to do? Are you hoping that your sons become just like you and that your daughters marry men just like you? Because if the answer is no, and by the way, it should be, unless you're just a profoundly arrogant hombre. What, what you should be understanding is we are constantly trying to be more and more and more like our Heavenly Father. And as good as our dads may have been, we don't want to be just like our earthly father. But we see the reflection of our Heavenly Father in our earthly father. We see the humility of our earthly fathers when they mess up to say, I didn't live up to the holy standard, son. Here's what I should have done. Or, sweetheart, this is how I should have conducted myself, and I'm trying to be more like my father in heaven. And that kind of humility is what God asks of us. So um, what I wanted to do is, is kind of draw it to this question then. What does this mean for church families? Because obviously what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is what he's saying to us today because we understand that what was is what is. So let's go back and look at that passage one more time. For I'm writing this to you not to shame you, but to warn you, my dear children. For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly beloved, um, my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I, I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out the talk, not just the talk, but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What is it that you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness. So children will do as you do. So as 
believers as Christians, what we need to be doing is living out a life that is instructive to our children. So this, this passage right here where he's talking about draws our mind, anybody who's paying attention, by the way, your mind is going to be drawn quickly to other instructions for believers that we see in the scripture. I'm going to walk down here and get this Bible. I left it on the floor. As Paul is writing um, to Titus, he's giving Titus some instructions about how to teach the church where he was serving. Now, how many of you remember where Titus was serving? You know where, where Titus was, where Paul had sent him to serve? Okay. It, it goes like this. So there's all these, these young people that are around Paul, and they're kind of getting their assignments about where they're going to go pastor, and the apostle's going to send them to the churches they're going to pastor, and, and Timothy gets Ephesus which is like, hey, beautiful city, big metropolitan, tons of resources. Uh, you know, it's got great culture. It's like, it's like going to New York. It's like going to Boston. Fantastic. Yay. And then it comes Titus' time and he's like, and Timothy goes, and Paul says, and Titus, you're going to Crete. Huh? That's like the worst place you could possibly be sent. And so poor, poor Titus has to go to this place where the culture is of lying and cheating and tricking and deceiving. It's a culture of drunkenness and drug use. It's a culture where the whole idea is to see how you can get over on somebody all the time. That's the culture of Crete. They had a reputation for this across the ancient world. And what everybody wanted from Crete was distance. <laughs> and so poor, poor Titus gets sent to Crete. And what's Titus going to do when he gets there? He's going to teach the people how to behave rightly. And so as he's instructing those who've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ about how men and women and boys and girls, uh, employees, slaves as they had them back then, different from American slavery, you understand, but he's giving them instructions about how you're supposed to live. And here's what he says to the church, to people in Crete. He says this to Titus, as you are proclaiming things consistent with sound teaching, teach this, older women are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in the faith and in love and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may be encouraging to young women, teaching them to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure workers at home, kind, in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that any opponent will be ashamed because they don't have anything bad to say about us, that is to say the Christians. Paul is engaging Titus just as he's engaging the church there in Corinth to remember that people are watching you. And when you live a life that is consistent with God's standard, people will be encouraged to imitate you. But children always imitate their parents. This is true not just in the family, but it's true in spiritual life too. Paul frequently referred to himself as a father in the faith to his followers. So he was a father to Timothy. He was a father to the church there in Corinth. So there's this, this concept of, 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 of children and fathers and family in the, Christian, in the Christian relationship. When children have bad role models, 
they will imitate bad behavior. Right? Would you agree? Have you ever, ever heard yourself talking to your kids about the other kids they're going to go playing with? And, and they say they're going to go over to Frankie and, and Janie's house. And the first thing that goes through your mind is, who are Frankie and Janie's parents? What's going on at their house? What's that house like? You ever done this as parents? And, and nowadays you can kind of jump on Facebook or the internet and look around and kind of find out what's going on. What are they kind of like over there? You know, you may ask the question, do I really want my kids playing over at Baxter and Liz Colburn's house? Is that the kind of people that I want my children exposed to? And we all go, yeah. Those are great parents. They love their kids. Look at how their kids conduct themselves. Well, not Beckham, you know, but but look at look at look at how look at how they conduct themselves. Look at the reputation that they hold. That's what their kids are going to be seeing and imitating. Am I right? But how about if those parents are really wretched people? Just bad folks. Do you want your kids in that person's house? Well, no. Because you don't want your kids playing with those people's kids because more than likely what they're picking up are the character traits of bad parenting. You hearing me? The church of Jesus Christ must be full of people who are continually, perpetually, consistently trying to imitate their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To be like Jesus. To be like the examples that Paul has set so that when people see us, they see Jesus' way of living. They see kingdom values. That is parenting. That is family values that are consistent with God's way of doing things. Are we tracking? So if your children see in mom and dad godly behavior, they're going to be filled, oh, I'll put it down, with some of these things that we just saw spoken about in Titus. Y'all notice how fast I turned to Titus. That was really good, huh? Kim put a bookmark in here for me. So (laughs) older men, here's what he's asking of them. Be self-controlled. What's the opposite of self-controlled? You just, you just do foolish things. You do things that are, that are silly. You don't know how to put barriers up around yourself to prevent yourself from doing really dumb things. Guys, do we do dumb things if we don't have barriers up in our lives? Anybody? No, just me? Okay, super. Um, how, about, how about worthy of respect? Men, have we ever done things that are disrespectful or not the kind of thing we would want our kids to look at and repeat? Right? You see, that's disrespectful or lacking respectful behavior. Sensible, sound in the faith, sound in love, endurance. That means not quitting. That means pushing through to the end even when things are difficult. In the same way, reverence, not slandering, not excessive drinking. These character traits are the character traits of people who are sold out to God's way of doing things. This is what our society is asking of the church of Jesus Christ be those things. When the church of Jesus Christ becomes a political voice, when it takes the gospel and drags it through the dirt to play politics, when the church of Jesus Christ is hateful, when the church of Jesus Christ closes its doors to people, when the church of Jesus Christ allows things into our midst that are inconsistent with scripture, what we do is we tell the culture around us, we're not respectable, We're not worthy of regard. We're not self-controlled. We're not sensible. We're not sound in the faith, and we're not loving. And people, whether they realize it or not, feel a sense of letdown because you're supposed to be the strong model of godliness. Men, God is calling you to be godly men. 
women. He's calling you to be godly women, not worldly in our behavior. Poor Titus is sent to Crete. But what if he had been sent to the United States of America? What advice would Paul be giving to Titus? Teach the church the same exact way. The same way Paul did. What is the church supposed to be full of? It's supposed to be full of the things that in Philippians he said to fill your minds with. Because what you think about, what you fill your brain with, with your media, with your reading, with your research, with your study, with the conversations you have and brothers and sisters... What you fill your mind with is what's going to come out in your, in your words, in your actions, in your behaviors, in your example. And what did he say in Philippians? He said, finally, brethren, fill your mind with these things, that which is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Think on these things. And then, as you've seen and heard and done and seen me do, do likewise, and the God of peace will be with you. These are the instructions for the church. Fathers, mothers, men, women, teenagers, children, conduct yourself this way, and the God of peace will be with you. But it starts at home with parents behaving the way they're instructed. Lisa Spence wrote a really great article here recently. Here's the link to it, by the way. Um, and, and it's talking, she writes the article, it says, Dear Older Women. And in her context, when she says older women means empty nest. So don't raise hands, but if you're an empty nest woman, this is what she's saying. What do you do with your time now? What do you do with your freedom? What do you do with your capacity now that you've, you've done a good job of raising the kids and the nest is empty or the kids are in school? She says there's four things that, that older women need to be doing in our culture that the church desperately needs. She says, first of all, you need to be a friend. She could say mentor, but she said, be a friend. Mentoring friendships begin with intentionality. You reach out to younger women, uh, having them into your home, loving them, serving them, uh, giving them breaks, giving them examples, being there as a friend to younger women. Because in our society today, between 11 and 13 million women are raising their children by themselves. Sturgeon Bay Community Church has, for the past several years, put ourselves on a path where we are heading to be a church that is known for caring for single moms, single parents in our community. This is a pathway that we're beginning to push ourselves towards and beginning uh, to focus ourselves on because we understand that in our own community, there are far too many homes where it's just a single mom trying to do everything to raise her children. If that's you, Understand, you have the toughest job in the entire world, raising kids without a dad there, without a father to help you do that. That is, that is an unbelievably difficult climb that you've got ahead of you. Wouldn't it be great? And ladies, I'm speaking to our older women now, our empty nesting moms, or moms who've got kids in school and have some time. Do you understand the impact that you could have on those younger moms by stepping in to say, how can I help? I love you. I care. I want to come alongside of you during these years and be a help to you. I can't be a husband to your kids, but I can absolutely be a help to you. Wouldn't it be great if you just had a couple hours to do some laundry and have a cup of coffee and just sit down for a minute? This is something that older women can provide. Volunteer. 
she says, um, uh, Lisa Spence says, volunteering in the school, in, in, in the church, whether that's vacation Bible school or teaching a soccer class or, or helping in the nursery or helping with cleaning, but use some of your time to volunteer and be around other people. Help in those families where moms are overwhelmed. Volunteer just to give them a hand. Teaching in the life of the church, spending your time now teaching younger women and other women what you've learned over your years as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have the time to study, invested into teaching younger women. And she said, finally, if you have the capacity, write. Write down what you've learned and pass that along to the next generations. Maybe that's a book, maybe that's a blog, maybe it's a journal. Maybe it's just a note that says, hey, I saw that you were struggling today. Just wanted you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. Hey, congratulations. Your kid did a wonderful job today. I just noticed it and wanted you to know from one mom to another, you're doing a great job. Take the time to put words on paper. So Spence, who ministers with with her husband, her family in Alabama, is saying that that part of being uh, older women, part of being the family of Jesus is pouring back into the family. And then finally... Uh, drawing from what we read in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, discipline is a responsibility, but punishment is the result of defiance. A couple of verses that go with this. Uh, You're familiar with these from Proverbs. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And uh, from Proverbs 22, foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. When we hear this word discipline and we hear about the rod here, I, I bet most of you have a preconceived notion. When you hear spare the rod and destroy the child, what, what, what comes to mind? What are you thinking about? What's the rod? What is it? Say it loud. Okay. Somebody else? Punishment. Okay. You, you ready for something? You're so completely wrong. Totally wrong. And here's the thing about it. We lose something in translation. Let me show you what he's saying here. How many of you remember when Aaron and Moses were getting ready to cross the sea? What did God tell him to do with that rod? What did he tell him to do? To hold up the rod. And as long as you held it up, the sea would be part. How about when the battle was waging against the Amalekites? As long as you hold up the rod, the battle will go in your way. As soon as you let it go down, the battle will go the other way. Remember these examples? Spare the rod, destroy the child. What did every shepherd tend to have in their possession? The rod and the staff. In Psalm 23, we hear about thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If, if he's talking about a whooping, uh, is, is the rod, bang, 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 is, is the, that comforts me. I do love it so when dad beateth me with the rod. No, that, that's not what we're talking about. What he's talking about is what the rod represents. And here's some things you want to understand. Charlie, that yellow yardstick that was back there, is it still there? No? Is it put away? Okay, bummer. Okay, so here's what happened. When shepherds uh, would, would, would be with their sheep, the rod that they carried was an exact measurement. I don't remember the measurement. I should have studied this. Don't worry about the yardstick, Charlie. It's okay. <laughs> I should have asked you ahead of time. But it would be a particular length. And that particular length would be uh, the width of something or the height of something. So it was always a standard length. It was the standard. The rod was the standard. It's where we get things like the yardstick or the yardstick standard from. It's always the same. That's exactly a yard. It's exactly three feet. Here's what else the, the rod represented. Fathers, patriarchs in the family, uh, the, even shepherds, rather than just having a stick, what they did is they would carve into that stick. 
into that rod. And around it would be the names of family members, important events that had happened in the family. They, they would carve into their great events that it kind of made them who they are. Let me say that again. Great events that made them who they are. And as the children were being raised, what they would say is, this is who you are. This is the standard that we live according to. Many of those would have the Ten Commandments actually engraved in them and the names of the ancestors and the fathers uh, and the families would be written on that standard. And so here's the standard. You raise your children according to a standard that says, son, young lady, this is who we are. This is how we conduct ourselves. This is the standard for behavior. This is what makes you the woman and the man. This is who your family is. For us as brothers and sisters in the faith, this is the rod. This is the standard of who we are. It's why so many generations have written the the names and the births and the marriages and the deaths and the fronts of those family Bibles and handed that down to say, this is who you are. This is where you come from. This is the fabric. This is from which you have been from rent. This, This is how you're woven together, child. You're a part of something bigger. That's the standard. That's the rod. And this is what disciplines behavior. Discipline is different than punishment. And discipline is very different than abuse. Without taking too much time, because I've used too much time already today, there's a continuum. And on one side, there's abuse. And on the other side, there's cowardice. And in the middle, there's disciplining. When parents discipline children, it teaches them how to behave. It teaches them who they are and why they matter. It's when children understand you are valuable, you are loved, you are everything to your family. And this is who you are and how we behave. This is the standard for who your family is. And in the church of Jesus Christ, there is a standard to which we are called to live. The standard of the kingdom of heaven. And when we are disciplined, we are living according to that standard. Think of the term devoted followers of Jesus are disciplined. Now, discipline is something that we do internally when we've learned it externally. How many of you would let your kids just run out and play in the middle of the highway? Well, no. If you see a little junior running out there to play in the highway, what do you do? You go get them and you bring them back and you say, hey, that's dangerous. That is bad. We do not do that. Do not play in the highway. Okay? That's not what we do. And you bring little Johnny back. If little Johnny goes out there a second time, okay, now the rod changes just like it did for the sheep. And now Carissa likes it because now we're talking about the whooping, right? And so I'm just giving you a hard time. So now instead of that rod being, this isn't what we do, now defiance is going to lead to punishment, which will help the child be disciplined. So you spanking is not disciplining, it's punishing for failure to be disciplined. Huh? If you spare the rod, you destroy the child. This is the standard by which we live. What Paul is telling the church in Corinth, there is a standard by which you live. Don't make me come in there having to use the rod for punishment. Look to the standard and conduct yourselves in accordance with God's way of doing things. That's what devoted Jesus followers look like. In closing, um, 
what did, what did a devoted Christian church look like? Well, as it turns out, the very first church there in Jerusalem is spoken of in the book of Acts. And here's how their disciplined behavior looked. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what devoted, disciplined Christian living looks like. Hey, church, here's what that looks like for us today. We devote ourselves to studying and reading the Word of God and understanding the rod, right? The standard. This is who we are. Young ladies, this is God's way of conducting yourself. This is where your value comes from. You are not an object. You are a child of Jesus. And you are worthy of a man who loves Jesus more than he loves you. You are worthy of a man who lives according to this standard because he will treat you the way Jesus has told him to treat his family. Self-serving, self-sacrifice, love, devoted, and faithful. Men, don't settle for objects. Settle for godly women who are pearls of great price, who are valuable, that you love and are devoted to and respect that's exactly what you're looking for because that's the standard by which we live. You know how you know that standard? By studying the teaching of Scripture. The second thing the church did, they devoted themselves to fellowship. You know what that part is? That's spending time together. That's celebrating great times together and struggling through, through tragedies and difficult times together. 